Stu Does America. Ah, so much to cover today. Uh, As the 2024 election grows closer, it's important we remember one thing. We need anyone but Biden for president. Get your anyone but Biden mugs and T-shirts right now at StuDoesMerch.com. The code is Stu10 for 10% off. If you're on YouTube, like the video right now, drop a comment below. Bethany Mandel is here to talk about the new movement to protect our kids from the left. Dan Andros is going to join with some thoughts on a very surprising, to say the least, merger in the world of golf. But we start by doing the great rainbow panic. You know, moral panics are out there all the time. And the left would tell you, hey, we're panicking. There's uh, drag queens, no big deal. Come on, you guys are are panicking about nothing. Well, the great rainbow panic is here, but it's kind of the opposite way. That is really where we are right now. I want to start by highlighting the work of our own Sarah Gonzalez, who does an incredible job going to the strangest places on Earth and constantly telling us what is going on there. Uh, she has a, her latest video is out. It's uh, You can get it on her uh, Twitter page, at Sarah Gonzalez. I'm not going to show you the whole video. If you want to go watch all the details, you can. I will tell you. Uh, it is, uh, I don't know if we have a screenshot from it, but yeah, here it is. This is one uh, bondage situation, bondage Photos. This is an all-ages, kid-friendly uh, pride event, including uh, penis candles and uh, kids looking through a variety of sexual-themed buttons like uh, send nudes and horror on top of it. Drag queens interacting with kids. We've got uh, the people rocking around in kinky uh, BDSM wear. All sorts of really fun stuff that uh, I'm glad Sarah was there for and not me. Uh, give the credit to Sarah Gonzalez, who again is doing an incredible job exposing this stuff. But like, if this is going on in Texas, is it really panic time for the LGBTQQIA2 plus community? Is it really panic time? They seem to be in another panic, at least the leadership, uh, you know, nationally of these activist groups are. And, you know, they're, they're, they're giving real examples of a hardcore action against uh, pride, the pride community. For example, this, no pride in Texas. Rangers, the lone team without Pride night. Yes, uh, that's just terribly. Apparently, there's no pride in Texas. The Texas Rangers are the only MLB team to not to celebrate a pride night during June, which is LGBTQ plus pride month. Left off a few letters there. I'm a little disappointed. The other 29 teams have a pride night in June as part of their scheduled theme nights. Now, part of you might notice what is going on there, which is 29 of 30 have the pride night. So is that really uh, a reason to panic that, uh, that Texas didn't have the Pride Night for the Rangers? WFAA reached out to the Rangers about being the lone holdout with the club giving the following response. Our commitment is to make everyone feel welcome and included in Rangers baseball. That means in our ballpark, at every game, and in all we do for both our fans and our employees. We deliver on that promise across our many programs to have a positive impact across our state entire community. Now, of course, that statement means nothing. They just don't want to do it. Maybe they don't want to celebrate genitals at baseball games. I mean, I think that's the statement I would give. It's also why I don't run a PR department for a baseball team. Um, but I will say there's something pretty interesting. I mean, there's I don't like the Rangers, I will say. And it's because they have a, a, a rivalry with my team, the America's team, uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. And I know it goes back many years, though I, I'm, I'm finding a soft spot for them, I will say, recently. I mean, first of all, they've got the no pride night thing. And, and look, that's just as a statement saying, hey, maybe we don't talk about sexuality at baseball games. I, I don't know. And then I will say they were also the very first team to, in fact, the very first sporting event in North America to have a full uh, stadium 
at full capacity after COVID. Uh, they're doing some really good things over there, uh, the Texas Rangers. I like that a lot. In fact, I was at that particular game with my son, Zach, who made a very strange face in this particular photo. And I, I wanted to show it to you because, you know, he's going to be pretty proud that he made a fancy face like that on, uh, on national television. I will say they were also the team where, uh, that held uh, the World Series in 2020. Uh, this is a team that's doing some interesting things that maybe you should note. I, you know, I'm not a big fan of their team per se, but I'm, I'm kind of kind of becoming a little bit of one uh, here in Texas, and I like it. Now, all of that's going on where 29 of 30 teams have this, uh, yet we're getting this from the uh, HRC, the Human Rights Coalition, nation's largest LGBTQ, where's the QIA2+, advocacy group joins Equality Florida in issuing an updated Florida travel advisory. We talked about this a little bit last week in the wake of Florida's most anti-LGBTQ legislative session in history. Equality Florida and the Human Rights Campaign have issued an updated travel advisory that details risks associated with relocation or travel to the state. In all six anti-LGBTQ bills were passed and nearly all have been signed by Governor DeSantis. Now, of course, the, the gay community was like, screw you. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's gay days over at Disney and we're going. So I don't, we don't care about your dumb travel advisory. They didn't listen at all. They flocked to Disney for those events. But HRC keeps trying. Now they've got a new website out declaring a state of emergency. Now, again, think about this in the form of rainbow panic. OK, the moral panic that we're being accused on on the right for not wanting kids to look at, you know, uh, various sexual toys and be gyrated in front of by grown men in thongs, that's us in a moral panic. But it's not a moral panic on their side when they have a national state of emergency and a travel advisory because of what? A few laws that take pornography out of schools? Who's the crazy one here? What, what, what is going on in our society? They break this down by state. Do they have a non-discrimination law? Do they have a con conversion therapy ban? Again, you can't, even if people want to convert, they, they are not allowed to find that. And look, I, you know, say what you want about this. Uh, that's apparently good. For the governor, government to crack down on the other side, that's good. But to crack down on, uh, let's say, um, you know, gender uh, bending surgeries and, and bathroom bans and, uh, you know, uh, uh, don't say gay. Remember that whole thing that wasn't even true. Well, that gives you negative points on this particular list. Uh, we have officially declared a state of emergency for LGBTQ people in the United States for the first time. I mean, listen to this ridiculous language following an unprecedented and dangerous spike in anti-LGBTQ legislative assaults sweeping state houses this year. More than 75 anti-LGBTQ bills. And again, that's just a fraudulent framing of these bills have been signed into, uh, into a law. Our community is in danger, but we won't stop fighting back. Not now, not ever. And I thought it might be time to look at what actually is going on in this country. Where are we? They keep saying how terrible these things are. Of course, 29 of 30 MLB teams featuring a Pride Night doesn't necessarily point you to devastating consequences for the LGBTQQIA2 plus community. And we have some data here that can kind of show where we are these days. Because to me, it seems like maybe the olden days were a lot worse for gay people. I mean, the gay people that I talked to are like, yeah, things are a lot better. We can kind of do what we want these days. And, you know, as long as we don't cross crazy lines like porn in schools. And I will say the gay people that I know, 
don't want to inflict pornography on school children. I know, they might be the crazy ones, I don't know. But there's a new poll out from Gallup. Is the world better for gay people than it was 10 years ago? When the Gallup poll first asked this question in 2005, about one in five people across the world described their city or area as a good place for gay people to live. Between 2014 and 2019, this figure has grown roughly to one uh, one in three adults, ranging from 31 to 38 percent. The figure increased markedly in 2020 to 49 percent, statistically similar to the latest reading, 50 percent recorded in 2021. The latest update from Gallup World Poll uh, illustrates how in relatively short period of time, Attitudes have changed about gay and lesbian people in different communities worldwide. In recent years, people across the world have become more likely to say their area is a good place rather than a bad place for gay people. And of course, like, is this a perfect measure of how things are? No, I guess there could be some perception error, uh, errors among people. But you look at the way these, the poll lines up around the country uh, and in countries around the world, and you'd say, okay, and this actually does look like a really good indication as to whether it's a good place for people, you know, the perception would be a good place for gay people to live. And what's fascinating here is we are told constantly that America is a terrible place for people who think differently, that have a different sexual orientation, who have different ideas about the alternative lifestyles, as we used to call them. But is that true? Because often when you ask a question about how bad some place is for people to be, you also have to follow it up with awful as compared to what? As compared to some weird utopia that doesn't exist? Or compared to actually the world as it is? And when you look at this overall, you find a totally different picture. Remember, the Human Rights Coalition just designated the United States as a country that has a national emergency on their plans. On their hands, excuse me. This is over the top. Here's what the actual facts look like. Globally, about 50% of people say they live in a community that is good for gay people to live. Accepting of people, not necessarily of everything that they do, but, uh, you know, accepting generally of people who are gay. In the United States, it's been over 50% for more than a decade. In fact, we are at 80% of people who say that. Now, how does that uh, apply to or, uh, uh, com- compare and contrast with other countries? Uh, we can look at a few here. Uh, Nepal has had a very high rise in the number. They are one of the fastest growing uh, in, in the world. They're at 86%. India is at 53%. Bangladesh at 43%. Vietnam at 51%. Now, the highest countries in the entire world are some European countries. Norway at 92% of people say that it's a good place for gay people to live. Sweden at 91%. The Netherlands at 90%. And Iceland at 88%. And then we know, I can tell you, you know, where this goes. You go down the list, uh, places like uh, New Zealand is at 85%. Denmark, 82%. Finland, 82%. Uruguay, 82%. Belgium, 80%. And the U.S., at 80%, 80% of people in the U.S. say their country's a pretty good place for gay people to live. Belgium, 80% of people say their country's probably a good place for people to live. Is there a national state of emergency in Belgium? Is there a national state of emergency in Uruguay or Finland or Denmark? These are the countries that are pointed as the ultimate in progressive values. Why aren't they on the list of emergencies, I wonder? You want to talk about some emergencies? Let me show you the bottom of the list. Uh, Tunisia, 9%. Nigeria, 9%. Georgia, 9%. Um, Going down even farther. 
Kosovo, 7%. Armenia, 4%. Kazakhstan, 4%. Senegal, Senegal, 3%. And Malawi, at the bottom of the list as well, 3%. Now, you want to talk about a state of emergency. I don't think if you're at 3% on this question, probably isn't a very safe place for you to live. There are places on earth that people aren't accepting of others. Though you note, none of those countries that I just listed at three, four, five, six percent approval of gay people and then in the area for them to live, there's no state of emergency there. There's no complaining about those countries. Those countries almost never see criticism at all for their policies. Yet the United States, who's tied with Belgium, is in the middle of a state of emergency. This is not about whether this is a good place for gay people to live. This is about tearing down America at all costs. I'm going to talk to Jesse Kelly later this week. He's written a new book called, uh, I think he's on tomorrow on this show. Uh, He's written a new book called The Anti-Communist Manifesto. And this is what he talks about uh, throughout the book. This is a long-term plan to tear down the country at any cost. These people don't actually care whether the world or the country is good for gay people or any other group. They care about tearing down the fabric of this country. And you know what? They're doing a hell of a good job. And most of the targeting is at our children, largely in schools. We're going to get into that issue in depth here with Bethany Mandel here in just a second. All right. Look, our country might not be healthy, but your body can be. We throw everything at our livers. We're talking about cholesterol, alcohol, toxins, Tylenol, cigarettes. And many of us have a sluggish, fatty liver that makes us gain weight, makes us lose energy. We don't do anything about this. We don't even think about it, even though the liver helps you every single day with over 500 key functions inside your body. Well, you can help your liver with Liver Health Formula. Liver Health Formula is an all-natural supplement. It contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that help recharge and protect your liver. So if you're looking to ignite your fat-burning metabolism, boost your energy, and transform how you look and how you feel, try Liver Health Formula today. You'll get five free gifts along with it. You get a bottle of blood sugar formula to help um, reduce your sugar cravings. Also a bunch of eBooks to help support every aspect of your health. Try Liver Health Formula today. Go to getliverhelp.com slash do. Get your five free bonus gifts. And I don't know, help your liver out a little bit. It's working out for you. Why don't you help it a little? Go to liverhealthformula.com, excuse me, liverhealthformula at getliverhelp.com slash do. Liver Health Formula is the thing you need at getliverhelp.com slash stew. Happy to welcome Bethany Mandel back to the program. She's co-author of Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. And she's the founder of Write Books for Kids, the movement, which you can learn about on their Substack. We'll get into that in just a minute because it's such a great uh, tool for parents. Bethany, how's it going? I'm good. Thank God. How are you? <laughs> very, very well. Uh, although it's we're in crazy times, uh, you know, I'm we, we watch all the yeah. stuff that's going on here. We, here we are in the middle of Pride Month and you know, the, the stories seem to get wilder and wilder by the day. And we know a lot of this stuff is being targeted at children. Do you have any idea, Bethany, why? Why? Why are children the target? Yeah. So Carol and I talked a lot about this in Stolen Youth. 
It's basically, you know, I, I think they've tried for a very long time to indoctrinate adults and sort of get us all on, on the bandwagon. And in a large extent, they've been successful. There is a chilling effect that happens when anything related to gender or sexuality comes up in the workplace, in the media. People just sort of like nod and say like, yes, no, a man can become pregnant. And, and we've all sort of decided to not point out that the emperor has new clothes, but it's not happening fast enough. And there's a Adults that are sort of asking too many questions and being so too troublesome. And so they've decided, you know, the best target for all of this messaging is children because, you know, with George Washington, you can sort of tell everyone that he's racist, but it's a lot easier in a future generation to just have an audience where no one knows who George Washington was. And, and I think that that's where we're getting, that they're sort of using children as their key indoctrination tool. And you see that with Marxist societies, you know, throughout throughout history, that this is how they sort of target and foment a revolution. And, and this is no different. Do you think that they're overplaying their hand? I mean, I can't tell. I, I go back and forth on this. Sometimes it feels like, you know, they are moving so quickly and with so much success taking over the corporate world and working with ESG standards and all yeah. these things, and it seems overwhelming. And the other side, on the other side of that, I, I feel like the average person, even the average Democrat, looks at this stuff and says, all right, this th we might want higher taxes, but this is nuts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I also go back and forth and it really depends on the day what my answer will be. You know, it's interesting because President Trump said, you know, people don't know what woke is. And he, I, I, I think that the it's hard to pin down that definition, but the reality is everyone sees what's happening in front of them, whether they can have a succinct definition that they can pull out of their pocket on a moment's notice. It doesn't, it doesn't sort of dismiss the fact that there is something happening that we all have observed. There's a phenomenon happening that we've all observed. Um, now I think we're seeing just how fed up Americans are with Bud Light, with Target. And people are saying like, no, I'm, I'm done playing along. And, and I think that people are voting with their dollars when it comes to Bud and Target. And and hopefully in the future, they'll start voting with their, with their mouths as well and start sort of standing up and saying enough is enough. And I think also the homeschooling numbers are proving that people are not willing to subject their kids to this. Yeah, no, I think that's that's definitely true. I, I mean, is this the right tactic? Is, is the boycott the right way to go? I mean, you know, like as a as a, a guy who loves capitalism, I'm you know I'm not a boycott fan. But some of the stuff has gone so far, and I do think that there is yeah. on top of even like the the typical like organized boycott that sort of exists here. I think this is just a lot of individual people making the decision that I don't want to yep. be part of this. Yep. I don't want to give them my money. And I think I, you know, the other day I, I needed to get my kids shoes and a couple of days later I had to get my kid a water bottle and Target is the easiest way for me to do that. And I was like, you know what? I, I'll just make an order on walmart.com. It'll be a couple of days later, whatever. I'll make an order on Zappos. It'll be a couple of days later than going to Target. But I'm not interested in giving people who hate me money. And I think that that's what it comes down to for a lot of people. Yeah, no, it really is. And I think it's in, been interesting to see people uh, you know, really take steps and change this. You mentioned homeschooling, and I think that's another version of what yeah. we're talking about, and, and maybe a more successful long-term version where people are taking their kids' education, where they, you know, there's definitely a, a bit of this sort of handing your kids off to public schools, and you hope you live in a good town, and you hope yeah. the teachers are good, and then you kind of turn your brain off on, on that part of life, which is not really the right approach. Yeah. Homeschooling has grown so fast. 
Yeah, no, and it has. I mean, I think a lot of that is because parents saw what was happening in inside classrooms when the classroom was at their dining room table during COVID. And so they saw a couple things. They saw the indoctrination, but they also saw that like, Hmm, the quality isn't great. Um, there was an incredible podcast that was produced by NPR called Sold a Story. And it was basically about the fact that all of the mechanisms we're using, all of the programs we're using to teach phonics and teach reading, well, not teach phonics, teach reading, not using phonics, are not working. We're producing a generation of illiterate children. And that podcast only came to be because parents were seeing in front of them how their kids were being taught how to read. And they thought, this doesn't make any sense. And they sort of started to question, like, maybe the teachers and the experts don't know what's best because we're seeing the expertise of experts play out in other parts of our lives over COVID. And they thought to themselves, I think that teaching reading is maybe one of those things that the experts are maybe not the best. Yeah, yeah. It really is fascinating how people woke up in that in, in that time period. And when it you know, it's right in your face. You yeah. have no real choice uh, but to do that. Mm -hmm. I, I want to go to your Substack here because you, you started this up. I know you yeah. started this initially on uh, Instagram, just trying to give mm -hmm. parents resources on, you know, on, on books because it's so many of these books now, even ones recommended by, you know, public schools and even some private schools, yep. we're seeing really objectionable uh, material inside of them. You're, you, you are going through these books and actually looking to make sure you can find books that are safe and, and, and to the highest of quality. Can you kind of talk through quality, this project? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So when Carol and I wrote Stolen Youth, we heard from so many people like, okay, we recognize now there's a problem. Now what do we do? And I think in a lot of circumstances, whether it be entertainment or education or whatever, the answer is books. Like, let's all go back to square one. How how do we obtain an education through reading? And it's, you know, famously so many founding fathers who didn't have an opportunity to go to school and became, you know, the most brilliant minds in humanity did so just by sitting down and reading the classics. And so we sort of wanted to, my uh, co-founder and I, Rachel Reeves, decided, you know, we homeschool based on really heavy literature and, and how do we share with parents um, great books that their kids can be reading because I, there's so many voracious readers out there, especially when they're homeschoolers, and how can parents keep up with those voracious readers and know that they can hand off a book and not be worried about the content found within it. And so we decided, you know, we wanted to start this Substack and share book lists and share book clubs uh, and also be writing blog posts about like, these are the things that you should be looking out for. Um, and also just encouragement about homeschooling, about taking your kids' education into your hands, whether you're homeschooling or not, because at the end of the day, we're all homeschooling parents. It's whether you're full-time or not. Mm, yeah, that's a very good point. I, I will say as a, a parent of, I have two kids, uh, 10 and 11 years old, and, and like, I've been shocked at how difficult it is to just be able to get reliable yeah. uh, lists of books and, you know, yeah. monitoring, you know, whatever their online activity is. I mean, a lot of their assignments, uh, you know, my kids go to a private Christian school, but like, you know, which it's a school I'm, yeah. I'm happy with, but also they're on, they need to go on their iPads to do these assignments just to lock mm -hmm. them down. Yeah. Is I subscribe to three different services right now to try to monitor the content yeah. on these things. I am surprised at how difficult this is for parents. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And when you, when you throw cell phones into the mix, which like never give your children a cell phone for as long as you live. That's one of the action items that Carol and I talked about in stolen youth. Um, it's really, really difficult. You know, when I was writing the, the books chapter in stolen youth, I got material for writing that chapter because I made a mistake and I accidentally gave my kid a book well, gave my kid access to a book. That was a graphic novel where two girls at a sleepover had an encounter. And that I told that story in stolen youth. And so, you know, especially Especially for my kids' ages, they're eight and nine, they love graphic novels. Um, that was one of the first book lists that we did on Write Books for Kids on the Substack because we said, like, you know, it's great to tell people to read Mark Twain, which we're also doing, but my kids like to sit at the kitchen table and read a graphic novel. All of those are created now. And so you really have to know that what you're giving your child is appropriate. And a lot of the illustrators and a lot of the writers of graphic novels are not people you want writing for children. Yeah, no, that's a great point. My, my daughter loves graphic novels as well. This, I, I, I got to make sure yeah. I get to the list. It's on the Substack, this, this list of graphic yeah. novels. Okay, great. I got to check yeah. that out. Um, give, us, uh, give us a minute, Bethany, on, on people who are who think about this the same way we do, right? Think that education yeah. of their kids is really important and they wanna take more of it on. But maybe they went through COVID and they went through a couple months of homeschooling and it was not so fun. I mean, I, I, you know, it was, that can be really difficult yeah. on the parents and it's super intimidating for a lot of people. Can, can everybody do it? How, could, how should people look at this? So it's as if I gave you my favorite question to be asked and I like planted it in front of you. Um, you know, what happened over COVID was not homeschooling. It was people dictating to parents that they had to sit their kids in front of a screen for eight hours a day and become Zoom butlers. What happened over COVID is 100% not homeschooling. The beautiful thing about homeschooling is it is what you make it. You can envision what you want your homeschool to be. Do you want desks? Do you want your kids just to be reading great books all day long? Do you want to go to the National Gallery, which is something I did with my kids last week? I say that homeschooling is basically full-time parenting. You're looking for activities. You're looking for books. You're looking for things that will help your children grow and help you enrich their lives, not just academically, but also, you know, I don't think people think enough about like, what is the purpose of education? Why are you sending your child to school? And at the end of the day, it's not so they can get a job. It's so that they can be a fully functioning member of society. And in my homeschool, I want my kids to graduate at 18 years old and say, I am not done learning. There is so much I am passionate about. I want my kids to be passionate about literature. I want them to be passionate about art and music and you know anything under the sun. And I, I, am, I feel like my job as a parent, it's not to teach them everything, but it's to present a feast in front of them and say, take what you want. Obviously some things are non-negotiable. You have to eat your vegetables a little bit. You have to do a little bit of math, but like the sky is the limit. And, you know, I want them to be excited to eat that meal in front of them. And, you know, I think a lot of people think that, um, that, as long as my kid is reading, it doesn't matter what they're reading. And, you know, you wouldn't say that about food. You wouldn't say, as long as my kid is eating, I don't care if it's nothing but candy. Um, you want to, as a parent, be providing them with nourishment emotionally, intellectually, uh, everything. And, and I think that that is what homeschooling is at the end of the day. Mm. Well, if you're, if you're doing that or if you're not, uh, this is a great resource for parents. It's called Write Books for Kids. It's a Substack app. We'll make sure to tweet a link out for you so you can get to the page and check out all these lists. It's really important. The book, by the way, is great as well. The Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Thank Erasing. You. Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation is available now wherever books are sold. Bethany, thanks so much for taking the time and coming back on the program. 
Thank you so much. All right, I want to take a minute to talk to you about uh, supply chains. You know, we have real problems with our supply chains, and we don't really, we haven't, until COVID hit, I don't think we really thought about how vulnerable we are um, when it comes to, let's say, our medication. Uh, we've talked to you before about the Jace case, which is a great idea for you know uh, travel and for emergencies. There's also something called Jace Daily. Now, this is a prescription supply service that allows you to get up to a 12-month backup supply for your prescription medication in case of an emergency. If you take daily pills for you know cholesterol, diabetes, heart health, blood pressure, mental health, and there's some disruption, you might not be able to get that stuff that you really need. Jace is taking care of this. Jace Medical is taking care of this, and uh, they've done a great job. We talked to Sean Rowland on the program. Uh, he founded Jace Medical, and he built this program seeing what might be coming and wanted to make sure that the people here in this audience and across the country are, are prepared for, for the worst. Um, be prepared. Go to jacemedical.com. Enter the code STU at checkout. You can get a discount on your order. The promo code is STU at jasemedical.com, jacemedical.com. It's Jace Daily from Jace Medical. We told you a story last week of this profile in the Atlantic of Chris Licht, who's the guy who's running CNN. And it did not go well, apparently, uh, for him. Now, I actually read this thing. It's very long. I think it's legitimately 15,000 words. It's very long. Uh, and it is very critical of his reign. And it's, it's by Tim Alberta, who's basically, I mean, you'd say he was a moderate guy. Like, it doesn't, he's not a hardcore leftist or anything. Um, it was very critical of him. And it was almost critical of him from the left, saying that he, some of it was he was too friendly um, with some uh, during this Trump uh, CNN town hall that they did, a lot of backroom brawling going on. Well, the update to this is uh, Chris Lick now is apologizing to his staff uh, after embarrassing profile has uh, come out in the Atlantic. He bows to fight like hell to win back trust. Uh, there's a new executive in the fold now. We don't know what's going to happen, but it does not look good uh, for uh, Chris. And I will say, as bad as the uh, as bad as CNN is, I would say it's, it's slightly improved over the pre-Chris uh, Lick days. Um, so, I mean, we've said this before. They've improved to a solid D minus now. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe all that progress will be lost. Uh, let me tell you about Grip6, a company in Utah that sells in the United States, but all over the world. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, people want to buy this stuff from Grip6, so, you know, countries all over the place, but they don't buy uh, anything that they use to source the stuff that they make from anywhere outside of the United States. Why? Well, they care about this country. They think manufacturing here in the United States is really, really important. And Grip6 carries an awesome selection of you know, socks and wallets and, uh, and, uh, and all sorts of stuff that you can get right at grip6.com slash stew. Uh, belts as well they have there. They even came out, they even have new pickleball rackets. If you're a pickleball person and you're like, ah, you know, what am I going to buy for a new racket? Go to grip6.com slash stew. Check it out. Use the code stew. They have 15% off right now. Grip the number six.com slash stew. Get 15% off today at grip6.com slash stew. This is a really crazy news day today. I want to bring in Dan Andros, managing editor of faithwire.com. He's the host of the Quick Start podcast, which you can subscribe to now wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, Dan, I don't know, if you would have given me 50 to 1 odds uh, on the fact that the Live Golf Tour and the PGA Golf Tour would be merging in 2023, I don't think I would have taken it. And yet, 
a huge announcement comes down in the middle of the day that somehow these two giant entities that have been warring for months are merging. I, I just I, are you as shocked as I am? Uh, yes. When because uh, I actually didn't see it come across my feed. Uh, somebody told me about it and I, I get that alert and I'm like, like, did you hear about LIV? And I said, um, and my first thoughts in my brain are like, um, did did the Saudi Arabians kill another journo? Right. Uh, was there a terrorist attack? Did they fold and decide to quit? Like, did Phil Mickelson get arrested? I, I, those are the things that are going through my mind. Them being merged had absolutely the it was the furthest stop from my mind. I mean, it is legitimately incredible. Am I forgetting this or was the PGA spent the last, I don't know, six months telling us that not only was this an evil or country with t- dirty money and uh, they would never merge. I mean, the, the quote I had here was that less than a year after the commissioner, Jay Moynihan, said that any potru- potential truce with the Live Golf was off the table, a merger has been formed. I mean, this is shocking. It is. And even more than that, just him saying that it wouldn't happen. You had him on video with Jim Nance in this very somber sort of serious segment where Jim Nance is quoting this article about these 9-11 families that have spoken up. And Monahan's sitting there going, you know what? I have families and friends who you know suffered from 9-11. And here's one thing you can say about the PGA Tour. Have you ever had to apologize for being part of the PGA Tour? So they use... 911 mm. and the involvement there at, to to try to shame those players who chose to go to LIV and then you turn around and you look at the current statement that he gives where he's praising that this is the way forward <laughs> and that we're we we just decided we're better together to further the game of golf and he even cites the Saudi fund in the statement I mean, I don't know how you that is one of the all time flip flops. Like if you were to rank top 10 flip flops of all time, John Kerry would have like four of them. But then (laughs) you'd have to put Monaghan on this. I mean, this is how do you go from this is blood money and shameful 9-11 whitewashing to, yep, we're going to go ahead and partner with them. I mean, the only thing that explains it, Dan, and I don't know if this is it, but it's the only thing that pops to my mind. The only thing that explains it is billions and billions of dollars, right? Like people will change their mind and be public flip-floppers over and over again if you pay them enough to do it. And is this just one of these situations where, you know, the Saudis are just in a room and they keep saying, hey, we keep signing these golfers to $100 million contracts. Why don't we just buy the whole thing? Like, well, let's go in there and give them a fortune. They'll make them all rich and then they'll overlook all of our problems. Yeah, it's it seems like it's very much a testing of the old proverb that everyone has their price, right? <laughs> like you're out there just campaigning on this big moral high top and then you're like, you know what? That's more money than I was thinking about when I was talking about all that stuff back there. I, I couldn't imagine this bag, but uh, it's, it's pretty crazy to look at some of the winners and losers in this, too, because Phil Mickelson... All the guys that left, they're all just sitting there like, ah, you know, like I told you. Now, the biggest loser in all. And then, okay, so some big losers in this. First are the players that um, were probably offered. There were probably a lot of guys offered a ton of money because there were some mid-level golfers there that 
you know, because they had to convince them to take this. This was a this was right. a plunge. The money was real. And so he's mid-level, like Henrik Stenson, who's a good golfer, but like he's way past his prime. I don't know what he got, but it had to be a lot of money. So guys like him that are past their prime and stuff, but are kind of names, like they're probably turning down 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars off because the PGA is saying, you know what, we're going to stand on our morals. They send Rory McIlroy out there and he's fallen on the sword. He's basically their spokesperson. Rory McIlroy today has to be like, what did you do to me? Yeah. Like you sent me out here to talk about and basically, you know, shame all these guys that went out there. I was the face of your argument. And then you just turn around and go, thanks, Rory. <laughs> but we're going back over here. That is awful, awful job by them. Absolutely incredible. I mean, and McElroy is a guy who probably makes nine figures from a payment from uh, from Live Golf. We know that oh. Tiger Woods could have, was rumored to have been offered $500 million to go. Tiger to- Woods could have owned Saudi Arabia if he wanted to. <laughs> with, I mean, he could have asked for anything and they would have. I mean, they would have given him a billion dollars. So yeah. Tiger Woods... Not that he needs it. I mean, the guy's obviously massively rich anyway, but but still, he ter- had to turn down a massive fortune for this. It's it's wild. And it was like you know, kind of an, an incredible thing to do, right? To turn down a half a billion or a billion dollars to to stay with this golf uh, league that you know you've, the PGA that you've loved for all these years. You talk about the loyalty. You talk about all these really important concepts, and they just rip the rug from under you. I mean, this is uh, Scott Van Pelt tweeted this, and I, I, man, this this is going to be hard to answer for these players. L- listen to this. So you preach loyalty to a tour and convince guys not to take eight and nine figure deals based in part on that loyalty and in part on the source of the money. Then those guys go find out on Twitter that you took the very same money. And, of course, he quotes the famous Nino Brown movie that we watch very many times as kids. Nino yes. Brown, always business, never personal. I don't know if there's ever been a better Nino Brown moment than this. This is incredible. Well played by Scott Van Pelt. And, and look, I look, I always thought that they were kind of overplaying this. I mean, like, it's felt like this whole thing, which it shouldn't have, because they knew Greg Nor- uh, Norman was out there pu- pushing this thing and that it was coming. They knew this. It felt like they they went way out on a stretch there to try to do this whole Saudi thing and the the shaming because they're funding it. Because, look, every country has their dirty laundry. And, you know, if you're going to I mean, the NBA is doing business with China for the love of Pete. And nobody's got any problems with that. I'm sure golf does stuff in China. I mean, I haven't looked, but I'm sure the PGA is doing things in China. China's rounding Muslims up and throwing them in camps. I, I, you know, yeah, I, I don't know where. Look, you can do business with countries and still disagree with them. So I thought the PGA from the very beginning mishandled this wildly. They should have embraced it. They should have just said, hey, and relied on the strength of your history that the PGA has, the legacy that the PGA has, and figure out a way to work together with this, which is where they ended up anyway. And um, and so now now they've just got a whole mess on their hands because they were idiots at the beginning. Yeah, I agree with you. When we talked about this when this first happened on the show, that like I don't the, the the idea that it's dirty money from Saudi Arabia is a tough sell. We're doing business with countries or companies all over the place that are making their products in uh, ch- countries that have all sorts of terrible rules. I don't know why golf in this one country is some major mag- magical line, other than it was just a very convenient argument for the PGA to make. They were looking right. for whatever they wanted to say to, to, to vilify this other golf tour. 
Uh, but at the end of the day, it does seem like that was just total nonsense. I mean, I don't know how they sell this to their players. The players are all over social media, first of all, complaining about how they knew nothing about this. And secondly, right. complaining that they didn't get all these millions of dollars they could have had. And now they're going to wind up playing for the Saudis anyway. It's just an overall absolutely terrible job by the executives of the PGA. And look, maybe this gives some credence to the players who left because they were complaining about the PGA and a lot away the way a lot of the things were run. And I don't know. I mean, the way they've handled this kind of gives a lot of credence to that argument. Maybe they were because remember, you notice what they did as well. Like once um, everyone's like, hey, look at all the LIV, all the money that they've got in these stories. The, the PGA is like shameful and how much money they make. And then the purses that they put into these events compared to what they bring in, it's like minuscule. Now, all of a sudden, all of the prize money do like doubled in all these events. And you're <laughs> seeing guys make the winners make five and six million instead of, you know, one or two million. It's like, well, oh, so you could do that all this time. So it just feels very poorly managed. And uh, they are they are they really look not good right now. Yeah, it's funny because they had uh, they wanted to turn the PGA into a for-profit entity, which is going to be part of this. I mean, it just seems like absolute greed. Which again, I'm I'm a capitalist. Like I, they should make as much money as they can. It's it's a sporting event, and I, I have no problem with that. But you can't do all the things you've been doing for the past year and still make that argument. Uh, Dan, before you right. go, though, I want to make sure we have a breaking story going on uh, that you guys are covering over at FaithWire.com. Uh, and it seems almost unbelievable. Can you walk people through it here in about two minutes? Yeah. So basically, a Christian showed up at a pride rally in Reading, Pennsylvania, and was arrested within 60 seconds. And <laughs> it, it sounds ridiculous. What? And honestly, you see this type of stuff in like the UK and Canada where they don't have the same freedom of speech protections. But if you go over to faithwire.com, you can check it out. Uh, and I have the full interview with the man who was arrested on, in that article. You can see that video interview there. And it's really remarkable because the officer comes up to him right away. And this officer apparently had threatened others with arrest. They're standing across the street, just holding signs like typical counter protest kind of a deal. Um, they were Christians, so they were religious themed signs. So this guy shows up and he's just basically like, hey, uh, and the officer comes right up to him. They go back and forth for just a few seconds. He tries to quote a Bible verse. He can't even get it out. And the officer's like, that's it. He snaps and he arrests him. It's it's chilling, really, it is. What country is this? I mean, you know, this is a country that lets the Westboro Baptist Church go out and say all sorts of terrible things at military funerals because of freedom of speech. And yet to show up and just put up a sign at a pride protest you, you, you're going to jail in 60 seconds. I mean, this, this, we are really crossing the line here. Yeah. I mean, it's it, honestly, I've watched the video like 20 times as I was going through it and writing an article and stuff. And it's, I, I can't believe what I'm watching. Yeah. I'm like, I cannot believe this happened. Like, this is America. The guy says, this is public property. I'm, he's like, you got to be quiet. You got to be quiet. He's like, this is like public property. I can do what I want. And, uh, and, and the officer obviously disagreed. Mm. Well, happy Pride Month to you, Dan, and everyone else uh, over at faithwire.com. Uh, at least you're getting a lot of material to write up about. I know that's not your choice, yeah. but uh, at least there's yeah. plenty of interesting things to talk about. You can check them out at faithwire.com. And, of course, you can talk about it as well on the Quick Start podcast. It's available every day. Dan, thanks so much for coming on the program. All right. Thanks for having me.
A very overweight individual named Chris Christie is going to be entering the presidential race. We'll maybe get into that a little bit more tomorrow. He's going to be attacking, uh, they say, Trump and DeSantis. And that's probably going to be good for him and his profile. Not sure that it's good for the country, uh, but I don't think that's really the concern of Chris Christie. I will say, even if Chris Christie was somehow to win the nomination, he'd be better than Joe Biden. And that's why we've come up with anyone but Joe Biden. It looks like a Biden 24 campaign shirt. And then you get close and you realize it says anyone but Biden in 24. The mugs, the shirts are available now. Use the code STU10 and save 10%. That's at stewdoesmerch.com. Stewdoesmerch.com. The code is STU10. We'll see you tomorrow.